0: Well, let me begin like this. Uh, Vince Lombardi was a legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers about 50 years ago. And uh, he's considered to be, uh, by many people, not only the greatest, one of the greatest football coaches of all time, but one of the, the best coaches uh, in all of sports. And, and, and the story goes that uh, Vince Lombardi, uh, at the beginning of every season, at the first practice of the year, would uh, stand in front of his uh, team, and he would hold up a football, and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. Now keep in mind, he, he's speaking to uh, professional athletes. These are guys that have been playing football for all of their lives. Of course, they knew what a football was. They, they know what this, what this ball is. But what, it, this, this was Vince Lombardi's way of going back and sort of hitting reset at the beginning of every year. Uh, kind of going back and reminding his team about who they are and what it is they're doing on the field. It was his way of going back to basics, basics, going back to true north, to square one. And this morning what I wanna do is, I, wanna, I, wanna, I kinda wanna do that, and I wanna do it by looking at Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. For me, uh, this passage is kind of this, it's my, this is a football passage. For me, this kind of is the passage that helps me push reset. It's, I, I go back to it over and over again to sort of remind me what it is that we're doing here as a church. What, it, what our purpose is, what our goal is, why we're here. It's kind of true north for me as, as I think about us corporately as a church. And uh, you, know, you guys may not remember this, probably a lot of you here were not here when I did this, but this was the first sermon that I've ever, I ever preached at this church. So seven and a half years ago, uh, when I rolled into Batesville, this was the first passage that I preached on. And it's a wonderful passage, and, and it, essentially what Jesus does is he gives us three metaphors, two or three, depending on how you read it, but he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. And what Jesus is doing in these metaphors is he's giving us our purpose. He's, he's giving the church its marching orders. He's saying, this is who you are, and this is why you're here. And essentially, he's saying, you are here to have an influence, just like salt and light and a city on a hill has influence. You are here to have an influence on your culture. Uh, you are, you're, you're not just in the world, but you are here to have a redemptive influence on the world. You, as my people, ought to change the fabric of wherever it is that you are located. I want you to make a difference. Now, this is not only Jesus' mission for us, but I think that this, is, this goes deep into our desires. This is deep into our DNA as a church. This is really what we want to be as a church. You know, uh, this past week, I went back and I looked at some of the founding documents of of Fellowship Bible Church here, and and one of the the words that was used was that we as a church, at the very beginning, they said this, we as a church want to be an irresistible influence on our culture, and I love that, this desire to make an impact on the city of Batesville and beyond, and there was even a quote by a guy named uh, Eric Swanson, no relation, by the way, but he has a great last name, and and in the quote, he said this, he, he gave this piercing question A question that I think is good for almost every church to ask themselves. He says, if our church disappeared tomorrow, would the community notice? If Fellowship Bible Church was zapped out, if we disappeared, if we were gone tomorrow, would the community miss us if we were gone? And we want to be the type of church that has such an influence, that that is such a compelling presence in our community that the community actually misses us or would miss us if we were gone. Hopefully we never will be, but we want to make an impact. Impact. We want the city of Batesville and Independence County to be different because we are here. And this is part of our DNA, this is part, this is part of the deepest heartbeat, not only of my own heart, but of our hearts collectively as a church. But not only that, I think this is really your, our heartbeats individually as well, because I know so many of you want to make a difference in your own life. Uh, On the community, you know, I've I've talked to many of you, and I know that so many of you want to make a difference for Jesus. You want to be a witness that's credible, you know. You want to. So many of you, you're active in the community. You know, you're serving at our Father's table because you want to make a difference. You in your job, you are you're working for excellence, and you're you're leading a business because you want to make a difference. You don't just want to make money; you want to make a difference. And many of you teach children in in the high school, in the junior high, and even in our Sunday school, because you want to make an impact. And many of you are involved in foster care and adoption and so many things in our community because you want to be a presence. You want to be a Christian that's credible, that makes a difference. So This is not only our collective heartbeat, this is the heartbeat of so many of you uh, in in your own lives. But the question is, how do we do this? Because it's hard, isn't it? How do we make a difference? How, how can we be salt and light in a city on a hill? Because it's hard. Uh, because so often churches, at best, were a non-influence, and at worst were a negative influence. right? So many people have been hurt by the church. So many people have been wounded by the church community. And we don't wanna be like that. We wanna be a church that brings healing and redemption. We wanna be a people that brings love and joy and attraction. We wanna be, again, an irresistible influence The question is, how does that happen? How can we be salt and light in our community? It's a question I wanna ask this morning. And in Jesus's little uh, metaphors that he gives here, in this little passage, what Jesus does, he not only tells us that I want you to be an influence, he tells us how we can be an influence. And essentially he says, I I, I wanna give you the necessary uh, conditions or the necessary ingredients if you're gonna be an influence. He says, here are things that must be true about you if you're gonna have a, an impact our, on your community. Here are things that, that must describe us if we're gonna be salt light in a city on a hill. Jesus here uh, gives us two things that must be true about us in this passage if we're gonna make a difference in our, in our community, both as a, as a church and as, as individuals. Uh, two things here, it's gotta be a short sermon so I've only got two points and not three. But these are two things that have to both be true at the same time about you. It's not like you can be one thing but not the other. These are two things that must be true at the same time if you're gonna go out and make an influ- influence. And so uh, this morning uh, we're gonna look at what they are. So the first thing that Jesus says need to be true, needs to be true about us if we're gonna make a difference is that we as a community and individuals must be distinct we will have an influence as God's people on the world around us only when we are distinct from the world around us. So let's read the passage. This is Matthew 5, 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, it get, and it gives light to you all in the, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The one thing that all three of these metaphors have in common, salt, light, and a city, is that they all have influence on the thing they're in contact with only when they're distinct from the thing they're in contact with. So you think about salt. Uh, Salt has an impact because it's distinct. Uh, You know, think about uh, if you go to somebody's house and the food is bland, uh, don't offend them by asking for salt because what you're saying is that your casserole or your spaghetti or whatever it is is bland. And salt has an influence on that bland food because it's the opposite of bland, it's flavorful. In the ancient world, there was no refrigeration. And so there was, they didn't have ice cubes, they didn't have refrigerators like we have now, and so the way they would preserve meat is through salt. They would rub salt in the meat, and it would have incredible effect because it's the opposite of decaying meat. Decaying meat, it corrodes, it gets old, it falls apart. Salt preserves, it's, a, it's purifying, and it keeps things fresh. It has effect on that meat because it's the opposite of the decaying meat, Or, uh, you know, you think about light. Uh, Light is, uh, you know, the the, the opposite of dark. And the reason why light has such an influence on the dark is because it's the opposite. You know, if you you got a flashlight, maybe you're going outside at nighttime to find something for the kids by the treehouse, like what we were doing the other night, and the the little uh, batteries were beginning to die, and I was hitting the thing, because the dimmer the light got, the less influence it had. It didn't have the effect that it needed to have because it was going dim. And, and the, the, the less distinct light becomes, the, more, the less influence it has. And so here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's trying to, he's trying to say that, that Christians have the most influence on the dominant culture when they are the most distinct from the dominant culture. If you're gonna make an influence, you've gotta be different. We, we've gotta be different. Y'all gotta be different. We all gotta be different. Well, you say, well, what does this difference look like? Well, Jesus outlines the difference in the sermon that he's preaching here, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, what this is, is Jesus's vision of how life should be lived. And when you look at this life, it is a life that's incredibly distinct. It is literally a counterculture, something that if you will even remotely live in your life will make you very, very different from people outside of the church. I think a lot of times we read the sermon and we kind of forget how radical it is. Uh, You know, we kind of, uh, we we mellow it, we make it not so radical, but it is a radical sermon when you actually read it. Uh, There was a teacher, her name was uh, Virginia Stem Owens. She was a professor at a major university in Houston, and uh, a professor of literature, and she gave her students this assignment. She said, go and read the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, she had them read the Sermon on the Mount. Many of them had, had never read it before. It was a big secular city, and many of them were not raised Christian. And so she said, read it, and I want you to write an essay. Tell me what you thought about the sermon. And she said when she got the essays back, she was so surprised because many of these students hated the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so she, she gave some of the excerpts of, the, some of the, what so, some of the students wrote. She, one student said, I did not like the Sermon on the Mount, It made me feel like I had to be perfect and nobody is. Another student uh, said this. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman like that is adultery. To be angry and insult someone like that is murder. These are the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statements I have ever heard. Right? They're shocked. They're shocked by the Sermon on the Mount because it's a radical countercultural way of life. And Virginia Stem Owens, she kind of, this is what she concludes. She says, finally, she was actually happy that they were disappointed in the sermon. She says, finally, biblical illiteracy has come to the point in America where people are able to respond to Jesus Christ without filtering him through 2,000 years of cultural haze. She says, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount with unfiltered eyes, you see how radical it is. And when a Christian begins to even remotely live out this sermon, it will make you a counterculture. It will make you distinct. It will make you radically different than the world around you. Because when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about the way we relate to sex, money, and power that's radically different. It says things like turn the other cheek, it says things like love your enemies. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Even people on both sides of the political spectrum, they come into the church and they make peace together. They get along. It says, give generously to the poor. These are all things that, man, if you read them and and if you actually remotely begin to live them out, it will make you a counterculture. It will make you different. And so the danger is that we will lose the difference, that we will slowly assimilate and accommodate and compromise with the culture so that we actually don't look any different. And when we don't look different, folks, we don't have an influence. We need to be salty, we need to be light, we need to be distinct if we're gonna make an impact on the world around us. And so the question is, are we distinct, are we different? You know, Tim Keller, he has this great little quote where he says the Christians in the first century were so different. He said the surrounding culture, they were promiscuous with their bodies and they were stingy with their money. This is kind of the way of life in the Roman culture. He said the Christians came along and they were promiscuous with their money and stingy with their bodies. And they looked so, so different. Many people were turned off by it, but there were many people that were attracted to this way of life. Because when you're different, you have something to offer the world, when you're distinct, there's something different about you. There's something salty. There's something light that the world might be repelled by, but they also might be attracted to. There's a story of Gandhi uh, way back uh, uh, in, in the early 20th century where he was, uh, he was actually really attracted to the Sermon on the Mount. He's a, he was a Hindu, but he was very attracted to the teachings of Jesus. And so uh, he went one time to... Uh, England to go to law school, and he decided to visit a church. Well, he went into the church, and when he was uh, when he entered into the door, he was quickly escorted out because he was dark skinned. And somebody asked him, "Well, you love the teachings of Christ. Why don't you just become a Christian?" And he says, "Oh, I love Christ. The problem is, you Christians are so unlike your Christ." <laughs> you see, he went into the church. He didn't find a counterculture. He didn't find anything different than what he found in the stratified culture of India. Are we different? Can we get along as as coming together from different political parties? Can we love our enemies? Can we work for reconciliation? Or are we just as gossipy, just as divided over petty issues as anywhere else in the culture? And so we need to cultivate our difference. This is how we can be salt and light and a city on a hill, as we cultivate our difference. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing our sermon series on rhythms, right? We don't want to be conformed to the patterns of this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to put habits and rhythms in our lives that lead us in a countercultural direction. We want to cultivate this difference. We want to keep each other accountable. This is why small groups are crucial, so that you can go to the smaller group and, and talk about your life and bring up issues and encourage one another to actually live out the teachings of Christ. Because it's when Christians are the most distinct from the world that we make the most impact. It's the first thing. But the second thing uh, Jesus goes on to say is, is he says, now I'm giving you this metaphor, salt, light in a city, and it not only, I'm not only telling you that you need to be distinct from the world and that's gonna give you the influence and the, and the impact on culture, but I also, I'm also saying something else and it's gotta be true at the very same time. You've gotta be distinct, but he says secondly, you also need to be engaged. We've gotta be engaged if we're gonna have an Im- impact on the culture and the world around us. Now notice, if you look at the metaphors again, salt, light, and a city, uh, these are are things that have incredible influence only when they have contact with the thing they're trying to influence. Right, so if you think about the salt and the meat example, like you've gotta rub the salt on the meat if it's gonna have an effect. You can't just leave the salt out here in the salt shaker. The salt needs to get all into the grains of the meat. You got to rub it in there if it's going to change anything. I did some study on salt in the ancient world uh, uh, as I was studying this week, and I was looking at the uses of salt. And so uh, one, one, one person said that uh, salt, when there was a conquering army, uh, they would actually rub salt into the soil of, a, of an enemy land. And so they would destroy their crops by doing that, and they would weaken their economy and, and basically uh, make the nation very vulnerable. But they had to rub the salt into the soil. I even read that in the ancient world, they, for a newborn baby, the, I don't know why they did this. I think it was a metaphor of purity, but they would rub little newborn babies with salt. Interesting. So I, you know, I was thinking we could maybe change the way we do baby dedications here. Right? You bring up the babies, and we pray for them, and then we rub them all down with salt. Who wants to go first? Right? You see, salt has to be rubbed in. It's got to make contact with the thing it wants to, we want it to influence. And you think about light. Light is the same way. Uh, maybe you've been to Mountain View, and, and you've gone to the caverns there, and, and if you've ever been there, what they do is they'll take you down into an elevator, and, and you tour this beautiful uh, uh, underground cavern, and, and one of the things that they always do, they've done it every time I've been there, which actually is only twice, but, <laughs> but they did it both times, they, they shut off the light down there, and it is the darkest dark I've ever seen. It's pitch black, you can't see your your hands in front of your face, nothing at all. It's because light has no impact when it's up on the surface. As long as the light is up there and you're down here, the the light has no effect. If the light is going to change anything, you've got to turn it on down there in the darkness. Or you think about a lighthouse, the further away a boat gets from the lighthouse, the less effect that light has. The further away you get from the light, the less impact it has. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to make a difference on your culture, you've gotta engage with the culture. You've gotta get out there. You've gotta get outside of the four walls of the church. You can't huddle together and stay separate from everybody else in the world. You've gotta go out and you've got to deeply engage with people. Here's the problem is that when, so often when people first become a Christian, they have all sorts of, of connections and friendships with people outside of the church. You know, they're just converted, and they still know everybody, and so they can still have an incredible influence, they still have deep relationships with people who don't believe like they believe. But the longer you become a Christian, the more disconnected you become, this is natural, you become disconnected from the people out there, and you start making new connections with people in the church. So that after a while, and this happens, even the more you grow and and begin to develop, uh, you know, good habits as a Christian, as you're doing that, you're also becoming more and more disconnected from people out there. To where before you know it, everybody you know is a Christian. Your barber's a Christian. You know, the the person that, uh, you know, does your taxes is a Christian. And of course, all your rhythms of life, you know, small group, church attendance. Everybody you know already believes like you do. And what Jesus is saying is that if we're going to make an impact, we've got to resist that inward gravitational pull. Because every Christian, we kind of naturally drift inward. We kind of naturally drift into a a little Christian bubble. And what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to be salt and light, you've got to go against this natural impulse, and you've got to be very intentional about it. You've got to get out into the community, and you need to make friends with people who don't believe like you do. You've got to get into their lives. You've got to know them, and you have to let them get to know you. You've got to resist that inward turn. Now, we need to do this as a church corporately, and this is why I'm so passionate about turning us outward and helping us ask, you know, why has God put us here? You know, we're in a strategic location to be engaged. We're on Main Street, folks, and we have parades that go by our door, and we have people that walk by our doors every every year and, and are we present? Are we engaged? Do we show up to our community? Do they know us? Do we know them? Are we concerned about the issues that are, that are plaguing Southside and Batesville and Independence County? Are we showing up as a community at things like Our Father's Table? Are we looking at things like the foster care problem and saying, what could we do? This is an issue not just for us, but for our whole city, and and how are we engaging in those sorts of things? What about our city? You know, how's the state of our city and the culture of our city? Are are we concerned about all that? Or are we just concerned about what goes on inside here? There's a place in the Old Testament where uh, Jeremiah the prophet goes to the people of Israel, and they were in a foreign land. They were in Babylon. They wanted to get out, the foreign land, it was just so, so many pagans around and they just wanted to get out of there and so they said to the prophet, when are we gonna get out of Babylon? And he says, well, I'm not gonna tell you that but this is what I want you to do. I want you to plant trees, I want you to have babies and I want you to pray for the shalom of the city where I've put you. So th- you're not just trying to preserve your own inner life, you're actually praying for and working for a better social fabric even in Babylon. So do we as a church community, are we outward focused? Are we salt and light? Do we care what's going on outside of the four walls? There's a wonderful quote by Leslie Newbigin, and it's a very long quote, but I wanted to give it to you. It's gonna come up on the screen here. And uh, he's, hopefully it'll come up here. There it is. He says, movements that begin with the local congregation, that's us, in which the reality of the new creation is present, known, and experienced, will only happen as and when local congregations renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they they exist for the sake of those who are not yet members, as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. He says the church is, is the only institution who exists for the good of those who are not yet members. So do we as a church care about what's going on out there? We've got to engage. And this is not only true of us as a church corporately but also as us as individuals. Are we engaging in our personal lives with things that are going on outside the church? Think about your own life. Think about your own neighborhood, your own business, your own friendships. You know, do do you know who your neighbors are? Do you know their names, if you have neighbors? Some of you live out in the middle of nowhere, but I know if you've got neighbors, do you know their names? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Do you know the the issues that, that 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 they're worried about? Do you have real friendships, not like an evangelistic friendship, but like a real friendship, where even if the person doesn't convert, you still love them? Even if they don't believe the same way that you believe, you still are engaging with them. Do we have conversations with people that disagree with us? You know, sometimes the longer you're a Christian, you kind of forget what it's like not to believe. And we kind of get in this echo chamber where we kind of just affirm ourselves. But what if you have conversations with people that don't agree with you? Boy, that really changes your empathy level for them. As you get into their mind and into their heart and and you listen to them, and you develop real friendships with them. There's a story that, is told by Rosaria Butterfield, and she wrote a, a wonderful book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, where she talks about how crucial it is for Christians to show hospitality to people that don't believe. And she, her own story is that she was a, a feminist, you know, lesbian feminist uh, teaching at Syracuse University. She hated evangelical Christians. She thought they were what was wrong with the world. And so she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times kind of outlining her position, and a pastor responded to the article not with an argument, not with an insult, but with an invitation for dinner at his house. And so he invited her over, and she said, I ate a meal with Ken and his wife. That was his name, Ken. And she said, they never shoved the gospel down my throat. They still loved me, even when I disagreed. But essentially, we developed a friendship together. I was at their house every weekend for several years, And she said, it would be a long story to tell you how it all happened, but it was through that friendship that led her to convert to become a follower of Jesus through this man's hospitality. And so she says this, having strong words and a weak relationship with our neighbor is violent. It captures the violent carelessness of social media-infused rage, throwing bombs over the fence, throwing bombs through social media, fighting like that. She says, no, no, this is not how neighbors talk with each other. Radically ordinary hospitality values the time it takes to invest in relationships, build bridges to repent of sins of the past, and to reconcile. So what if Christians did this? What if we just set out to open our lives to people on the outside? What if we we got to know our neighbors? What if we had discussions, peaceful discussions with people that don't agree with us? What kind of influence would we have then? as the people of God. Two things, you've gotta be distinct, you've gotta be engaged. They've gotta be true at the same time. And you see, Christians, we usually fall off the boat on one side or the other, don't we? Some of us are very distinct. Like we're living a countercultural, but but we're completely disconnected from people on the outside. We're very, very holy, but we're also very, very inward. And some of us are very engaged, we're very connected to the culture, but we're no different. We're just like everybody else. We have the same rhythms, the same patterns of life, we spend money the same way. We're we're, we're just like everybody else. But here's the dynamic, here's the sweet spot. Different and engaged, distinct and connected. As Tim Keller says, a counterculture for the common good. This is a football. This is why we're here. We do not exist for ourselves, but for the sake of those outside of the four walls. We live out a distinct way of life, and we do it in the context of deep relationship and connection to people on the outside. Well, somebody says, how do we do this? Because this is hard, I know. And I think what we need to recognize about this, about this passage is that, that none of us can do it on our own. No matter how likable we are, how charismatic we are, how gifted we are, educated we are, whatever, none of us can be salt, light, and a city on on a hill on our own. This doesn't start with us, because it was Jesus who was the first one who stood up before a crowd and said, I am the light of the world, and the one who connects themselves to me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We will do this only insofar as we depend deeply on the life of Jesus Christ. He is the only true light of the world. He lived a distinct way of life. Nobody did this better than Jesus. He ate with people, he ate with sinners and prostitutes and he was engaged in this kind of messy thing, doing life with people on the outside. And ultimately he gave his own life so that he could be for us. And when we see Jesus doing that for us, as we receive his life into us, and we receive his light and his saltiness, we could take that and go be lights to the world. So let's be connected to Jesus. Let's spend time with him. Let's draw life from him. Let's draw power from him and love from him so that we could go out and do this thing that he's calling us to do. And uh, so at this point, we're gonna call some people up to, to the stage, and we'll kind of flesh out what um, that's gonna look like uh, in 2020 for us in Batesville. But um, let's, let's pray before we, elders and staff, you can come on up right now and I'll, I'll pray for us as you do that. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for the calling that you give us to be salt, light, a city on a hill. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us, Lord, to be present to our community, uh, to be a church that's not only in Batesville, but for the life of Batesville and and the larger Independence County. Help us, God, to turn ourselves out intentionally, to develop outward rhythms, to live a countercultural way of life. Lord, to stay rooted in you because you are our power to do this. You are the love, you are the light, you are the salt. And I pray that you would shine on us so that we can be different, so that we can be a reflection of who you are, so that people would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.